the the pandemic uh, happened to fall this year, um, but the the role that RAU plays as a connector of universities, as an as a connector of of people who are developing these great ideas or who are interested in these topics like wastewater based epidemiology, uh, incredibly important in any environment, right? We want to. We want to make sure that, especially in the pandemic, that solutions are brought to the table fast and that we can learn fast and implement things that might take years to do on a normal timeline. But um, partnerships like what we have as MITRE with the ORAU and the COVID-19 Healthcare Coalition, that really allows us to move at, at a speed that's not really attainable during, during normal times or, or with one-on-one partnerships. You're listening to Further Together, the ORAU podcast. Join your hosts, Michael and Jenna, as they discuss all things ORAU through interviews with our experts who provide innovative scientific and technical solutions for our customers. They'll talk about ORAU's storied history, how we're impacting an ever-changing world, and our commitment to our community. Welcome to Further Together, the ORAU podcast. Welcome to Further Together, the ORU podcast. I'm your host, Michael Holtz, and we have a great show lined up for you this episode. We are talking about wastewater surveillance and COVID-19 with some experts on the topic, and it's really exciting, I think, for us and I know Kathy and Ken are excited about this too, to be talking about our partnership with the MITRE Corporation. We've got some folks from our university partnerships office and the MITRE Corporation here to talk about all of this. And I'm just going to have everyone go around the table and introduce themselves. And Ken, let me start with you. Great. Thank you, Michael. Um, So I'm Ken Tobin and I am the, um, brand new vice president for the university partnerships office at ORAU. I've uh, been on board since the early part of May. <clears throat> and um, so, and I was able to participate at least from a high level sense on the, the webinar uh, for this particular topic. And it was uh, a very nice opportunity. Um, we work with, um, as you, as you all know, uh, well over 125 uh, PhD granting universities and being able to reach out to those universities and find experts in, a, in an important area like this right now and bring them in is, um, is highly relevant to, to what we do at ORAU. Awesome. Thank you, sir. Kathy? Well, thank you, Michael. This is Kathy Four. I am a senior university partnership specialist within the university partnerships office. And we started working with MITRE last year on this new strategic partnership. And it's been a very exciting uh, road that, uh, that we are headed down. The wastewater surveillance webinar was one of our first initiatives together in bringing in our university partners who are currently doing that type of surveillance, as well as learning more about how we can better support collectively the COVID-19 Healthcare Coalition. So this is an exciting opportunity to do a recap of what we did two weeks ago. Awesome. I'm looking forward to that. It was a great event. Um, And then from the MITRE Corporation, we have Dr. Kunal Rambia. Kunal, tell us a little bit about yourself. Thanks, Michael. Um, My name is 
Paul Rambia. I am a biotechnologist here at the MITRE Corporation. Uh, my background is uh, as a laboratory scientist, as a biomedical engineer in tissue engineering, uh, professional background in uh, pandemics and public health preparedness, and been working with uh, my colleague here, Monique, for uh, over a decade on that topic. And sadly, we're in the midst of a pandemic, <laughs> so a lot more together. So I guess that's the silver lining. <laughs> right. And finally, we have Dr. Mansoura and Monique, tell us a little bit about you. Great. Thank you, Michael. Um, and grateful for uh, this opportunity and for the partnership we have with uh, ORAU. Uh, I am the Executive Director for Global Health Security and Biotechnology at the MITRE Corporation. Uh, I've been doing that for uh, about three years now, and MITRE's work, of course, for over six decades in supporting the U.S. government in better uh, providing good services to uh, so they can better execute on the, their missions and serving the public. Uh, the hat I'm wearing today and the work we're doing in support of wastewater-based epidemiology is in my leadership role for the health, uh, the COVID-19 Healthcare Coalition, uh, an assembly over a thousand members, uh, of which ORAU is a very active and valued member of that coalition. We stood up in mid-March. And um, my role is to lead the array of activities that we have that are focused on basically keeping healthy people healthy. So it's all the upstream things from, uh, from the healthcare system that includes uh, information, mis and disinformation, how people get the information, non-pharmaceutical interventions, uh, testing, both individual testing and population testing, which of course, wastewater-based epidemiology falls into. Um, as well as contact tracing. So again, it's the, the goal of the work we're doing in this part of the coalition is focused on keeping healthy people healthy. My background, uh, like Kana, I'm a biomedical engineer um, by training uh, and a human geneticist uh, and, and uh, have spent uh, uh, most of my career either in drug development for rare diseases uh, and after 9-11 and the anthrax attacks have been supporting the U.S. government and the private sector in developing medical countermeasures for um, high-consequence events like pandemics. So, doing pandemic preparedness, uh, and in the case of the last uh, the last six months, uh, pandemic response. Okay. Um, I, I want to jump down. Um, I have a list of questions that you all have seen, but I want to jump down to the question actually about the coalition. Monique, since you um, have talked about it a little bit, I know it's an organization of roughly a thousand different entities, companies, um, institutions of higher learning, et cetera. Um, and you've talked briefly about the work of the coalition. What's the purpose? I know we're both of our organizations are part of it. Um, I'm assuming the goal is assisting with the eradication control eventually of COVID-19. Um, and you've talked a little bit about some of the buckets of work, but talk more about what the coalition is and does. Thank you, Michael. So the coalition stood up in mid-March and it was really in response to a request. Um, we, we and others were observing an extraordinary amount of work going on in the private sector um, not necessarily in a coordinated way, but everybody wanted to help and everybody was finding a way through whatever means they had. Um, uh, again, in the private sector, there was a lot of great energy, um, but 
Mayo Clinic and leaders from MIT came to MITRE and asked if we'd be willing to provide some sort of a management coordination um, uh, activity in support of bringing all of this flurry of really um, uh, valuable energy and capability together. So we stood up the coalition, again, with a lot of support from the uh, leaders at Mayo. And actually, Mayo, John Holomka at Mayo is a co-chair, along with our chief medical officer and chief technology officer, G Jay Schnitzer, uh, from the MITRE Corporation. Uh, so they co-lead. Uh, it stood up with a handful of members in mid March and now in early August, we're up to a thousand members. So it has been a coalition of the willing. Um, the, the rules of engagement or coming together to join the coalition are pretty simple, a simple set of principles. Uh, we are all solely focused on the, the goals of saving lives and preserving our healthcare system. Uh, we operate without any exchange of funds with minimal, uh, minimal paperwork uh, and really a commitment to share uh, information, share learning uh, in as near real time as possible, again, with the goal and intent that by learning together, we'll all learn faster and better. Uh, and we have been, again, operating this since mid-March uh, uh, and focused on really three areas of, um, of mutual interest by, by the coalition members. One is uh, what I referred to earlier, uh, what we call social policies and decision support, um, protecting healthy populations through information, uh, again, social policies, non-pharmaceutical interventions, everything that we're seeing now about the importance of uh, physical distancing, uh, wearing face coverings for protection, uh, and the closures of you know, business schools and, and other places where people would normally congregate and learning how to return uh, safely. Um, again, through a lot of data, data-based information, um, but also learning how to communicate. Again, the importance of accurate information, timely information is key to this. Uh, the second bucket is uh, the healthcare system, clinical services. So we're all trying to learn from electronic health records, um, uh, what techniques, what protocols help, what drugs um, uh, really help people uh, to, to save lives, help the healthcare community provide uh, countermeasures, drugs that will save lives. Uh, and the third uh, area, which is really underlying both, is supply chains. Uh, we've all seen the dramatic shortcomings in uh, inability to get sufficient, whether it's PPE uh, or ventilators or swabs, uh, it's a dominant theme that underlies both the the healthy populations and the their their needs as well as the as the healthcare system. So those are the three domains, and then within each of those domains, we have a variety of working groups or teams uh, that have assembled. In this case, the one we'll focus on today is the one that Kunal leads for the coalition on wastewater-based uh, epidemiology, for which again ORAU is an extraordinarily valued and active um, participant in our efforts in that regard. Awesome. And I like what you said about, you know, there's no funds exchanged and it's really bringing everyone together for um, sharing knowledge, sharing capabilities, sharing what we're learning as we go through and the wastewater um, surveillance webinar that um, we've alluded to a couple of times that we held a couple of weeks ago sort of has come out of that of sharing what some, um, some, not all, but some of the universities um, that we know of have, have learned from 
conducting wastewater surveillance for COVID-19. So, um, and that's, again, just one small bucket of everything that's going on um, in the coalition. And then undergirding that, and I, I want to, of course, get to that topic, but undergirding all of this is, is the ORU MITRE Corporation partnership. You know, we sort of came together as a couple of organizations in partnership about a year-ish or so ago. Um, and I just wanted to briefly touch on um, what that partnership looks like, um, how we got there, um, all of that. And maybe that's a um, Monique Ken question um, or Monique Kathy, I'm not sure, but um, whoever, whoever wants to start that. Being relatively new to the University Partnerships Office and ORU, the, um, the MITRE ORU partnership was already in place when, um, when I came on board. And what I've, what I've seen is a number of opportunities to leverage both of our organizations to really, um, from my perspective, reach out to and provide value to our university partners in a number of different ways. And so um, b being able to pull expertise out of our university partners on, you know, wastewater surveillance, for example, is, is, is an excellent way to do that. Um, there are other opportunities that we are working with MITRE on to help um, establish university partnerships between MITRE, ORU, and the universities for other research tasks and, and, and topics that come up as well. And um, later on, you're going to talk a little bit about what's next for this partnership. And, and if you'd like, I'll wait until then to go into that. But there's an important uh, COVID-related topic that we're also working on with MITRE right now, which I'll, I'll be happy to talk about in a little while. Okay. Great. Monique or Kunal, anything you wanted to add from your perspective? What I would add is that, you know, MITRE is an innovation-driven organization, right? Our innovation labs... Uh, and I think this partnership with RAU, again, is just another incredibly valuable source of where innovation happens in the universities. And I think the, again, the longstanding uh, value that RAU has brought to its members and now uh, the ability to work with MITRE in our more traditional role, not the coalition role, but the work that we do in supporting the U.S. government in executing its mission uh, and upping its game, you know, bringing the best of innovation to the U.S. government uh, and, and the missions that they execute, I, I think, again, has proven to be, uh, again, predating the pandemic, uh, was, was bringing um, a really a valued set of uh, a, a partnership to, uh, to MITRE in the work that we do uh, as an operator of uh, federally funded R&D centers for the U.S. government. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. Thank you, yeah, Mike. Yes, Michael, sir. I, I, I would just add, um, you know, the the pandemic uh, happened to fall this year, um, but the the role that RAU plays as a connector of universities, as an as a connector of of people who are developing these great ideas or who are interested in these topics like wastewater based epidemiology, uh, incredibly important in any environment, right? We want to. We want to make sure that, especially in the pandemic, that solutions are brought to the table fast and that we can learn fast and implement things that might take years to do on a normal timeline. But um, partnerships like what we have as MITRE with the ORAU and the COVID-19 Healthcare Coalition, that really allows us to move at, at a speed that's not really attainable during, during normal times or, or with one-on-one -on -one partnerships. Right. Um which actually leads right into the topic at hand because with 
the COVID-19 pandemic and wastewater surveillance, I mean, we're able to talk about this like now as it's happening. And here's what we've learned. Here's who's doing this, who's doing it well, um, what they've learned about how it works and how they can use it and all of those things. Um, so for people who may not understand when we talk about wastewater surveillance, Kunal, what are we talking about? Uh, we are talking about what, it's, what it sounds like. What can we find in the wastewater and what does it tell us? Um, wastewater-based epidemiology as a science is not new. It's, it's being sort of rediscovered um, during the COVID-19 pandemic, but it's not new. Um, the World Health Organization has used this method for a long time to uh, search for poliovirus in the environment. And that's been one of the strategies used to try to eradicate polio from the planet, um, which has proven to be extremely difficult. But clues from the wastewater, if you can detect the presence of the virus in the wastewater, then you know that somebody in that region is infected. And you can follow that in with, in the case of polio, a vaccination campaign to try to protect the population. So um, the, the field itself is not new, and it's been used in in practice um, for, for this very important global health mission. Um, in the context of COVID-19, we're looking for a signal uh, in the wastewater that occurs earlier than um, what you can detect when people seek out diagnostic testing. So typically someone gets sick, they may develop symptoms, um, and they seek out a test to whether or not they have COVID-19. And there's some time period associated with initial exposure and the time to the, to the test result. Um, with wastewater epidemiology, uh, the infected individual may be shedding that virus in their pool or in their urine or in their saliva prior to the development of symptoms. And as they flush that down the toilet, it gets, um, you know, aggregated into our wastewater streams. And we can detect that signal using this approach um, in, in an optimal case, several days before you could detect it through diagnostic testing. So, you know, we've faced quite a bit of challenges as we're facing the pandemic. And what we're, what we're trying to determine is, can we deploy wastewater-based epidemiology in a meaningful way to get a reliable signal that a virus might be present in a community or might be trending upward within a community using wastewater, which would give us a little bit more time uh, to take targeted interventions or to direct our limited diagnostic testing resources to a particular area. So it's an early warning and it's a way for us to make meaningful decisions uh, to help stem the tide of the pandemic. Right. And from a technology perspective, how does it work? I mean, I know a little bit about, you know, putting sensors essentially in the, in the sewage system, you know, but I guess, how does, how does that piece of it work? Yeah, um, it's, it's, a, it's, an interesting <laughs> it's an interesting technology. Um, you know, there's uh, solids and liquids in our wastewater. Um, the, the virus is shed, uh, it's present in both the solid and liquid components of our wastewater. Uh, but the way that it works is that uh, an individual or a device will capture a certain amount of volume or, or liquid um, from the wastewater um, that that liquid or, or solid will then be processed by a laboratory. Um, so you'll you'll have academic laboratories across the 
across the country who um, you know, work with environmental samples are very familiar with processing sewage or wastewater. Um, they'll process it and they'll extract the, um, the nucleic acid, the RNA that comprises the actual virus. So they're looking for the genetic signature of the virus. Okay. Um, when that RNA is extracted, the test that they run is actually very similar, almost nearly identical to the, to the assay that's run for diagnostic testing for clinical purposes. It's a PCR-based assay. Um, so the, from, from that standpoint, the technology is not, um, not anything new. It's just a different application using a different source material. And that source material introduces some challenges, but uh, sure. it's possible to do. <laughs> well, and it's working well, you know, from, from what we talked about a couple of weeks ago. I mean, there, there are certainly, we had two examples that, you know, that day of universities that are, that are employing it or have deployed it or are in the process of. Um, so it is a process that can work well. Wastewater is sampled, it's tested. Um, what happens then? You know, the university or the community, depending on, you know, how, how and where you're testing, what does that tell us in terms of what happens next in that community? Yeah, I mean, I would almost rephrase it, right? We've, we've learned from these conversations that if you start with just testing the wastewater, um, you, you can certainly get a signal, but then what do you do with it, which is the exact right. question that you're asking. Right. But if, if you start with, well, I need to make a particular decision. I need to know where to send my mobile testing unit, or I need to know whether or not to um, use individual diagnostic testing on a subset of my population, or whether or not I should um, introduce a new measure like mandatory cloth face coverings. If you start with that as the question, you can then work backward to say, how is wastewater-based epidemiology going to inform the decision-making that a city or a campus or a facility okay. make um, based on, you know, the question that they're actually trying to answer. And okay. so essentially it, right, is that we're, we're trying to make these really tough decisions that are often intrusive to people's lives. Um, for example, you know, uh, wearing a face covering, it's its not necessarily comfortable for everyone, but we know that it can be effective in controlling the virus. Uh, and if if jurisdictions can have some additional information that they're facing a surge in their COVID-19 cases based on what we see in the wastewater, they could make much more targeted decisions on who needs to wear a face mask or what subset of the population they might need to focus on in terms of their interventions. Okay. Um I like, I like that rephrasing the question. It sounds a little less um, punitive, I guess. <laughs> like we know what the solution is. How do we get there, right? Um, so um, when, we, when we did the webinar a couple of weeks ago, the intent was really to encourage and support universities and colleges to learn about and possibly um, deploy wastewater surveillance for their institutions. Why in particular, and this may sound like an obvious question given that school years are about to start, but um, why are those communities in particular important for um, wastewater surveillance? Um, there's, I think, two good answers to that. Um, but before I get to those, I, I think the, the main goal here is, and Monique and I have talked about this a ton, which is you want, to, you want to achieve things at speed and at scale. You want to move fast and you want to be able to address 
as many communities as possible. And so if you think about where the expertise is in the United States for um, environmental sampling and analysis, um, you know, a lot of it, um, I wouldn't say all of it, but a lot of it resides in the academic community. And so, um, you know, we're, we're really, you know, looking to um, tap the expertise that's already there within these, within these communities. And then the other piece of this is we think about this from an end to end as first you have to go and collect the sample, process the sample, analyze the results of the PCR analysis, and then make a decision based off of that. Well, academic universities are actually well positioned to do this entire process. Okay. That all in-house, right? They can, uh, oftentimes they'll have wastewater treatment facilities that serve a single university or that most of their water goes to a single treatment facility. Um, they also have the in-house capabilities to do the testing. They also have in-house capabilities to do the data analysis. And then obviously there's decision makers that are making these critical decisions on when it's safe to uh, allow folks back on campus. So um, they're unique in the sense that they can oversee this entire end-to-end process, which, which makes them really important because you can start to understand, well, what are the challenges or opportunities that we're seeing? And as we deploy these, these different systems, um, where, do, where are they successful? Where are they struggling? And can we learn from examples on one campus and apply them to another campus? It's that ability to learn quickly, share information, and improve in an iterative fashion uh, upon what, you know, what started out in March and April as can we even detect the virus and where we are now in, in August where people are actually starting to make decisions based on what they're detecting. Gotcha. Um, if you could, if you would, um, examples of um, where this is, where wastewater surveillance is happening um, and well, and then if, if I'm a university or a college and I have the capability to do the end-to-end process, roughly how long does that take? It's a great question. <laughs> <laughs> or does it depend? I, I, yeah. I assume there's some dependencies there. I was trying not to use that as a cop-out answer. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. I'll use uh, it for you. <laughs> you're right. No, but um, where is it happening? It seems like the interest in this has really surged over the past couple of months. Um, there were several universities that um, have had decades of experience in monitoring wastewater for other infectious diseases, for um, opioids, for other purposes, right? The, so the, the underlying expertise is there. Um, more and more universities are um, adjusting their research programs to look for COVID specifically in their wastewater. So we're seeing that across the country, and I think it would be unfair if I just picked out one or okay, two. Okay, sure. Um, but certainly we, we can highlight the ones that we featured on our webinar, um, you know, the team at Rice University, Yale University, and Arizona State University have been very active in their communities. So um, I, I'd say, you know, there's probably a few states that don't have something ongoing uh, that we know of, but um, I'd say there's been just a huge surge of interest across the country. And um, it's exciting because you have so many things happening in parallel and you can really learn from each of those efforts as, as we learn more through the publications and the preprints and the Slack channels and all the different ways that people are sharing information. That's great. And it's awesome to live in a time where you can do that level of communication.
communication. Like you can really do real time. Hey, this is what we discovered. This is what we know. Um, where perhaps a hundred years ago, you know, during the um, Spanish flu pandemic, it might've taken months, right? To share the kind yeah. of lessons learned that, that we can share in minutes and hours, so. Yeah, for sure. And, and just to answer your other question, how long does it take? Um, that we've seen, you know, so much progress even be between May and August um, in terms of the, the maturity of some of these efforts. Uh, if you're starting from scratch, it's there's no off-the-shelf method that's available for you to just pick up and start doing this on your campus uh, or with your community. There's definitely, um, you know, some tricks to trade and some some uh, time that you have to spend in developing the internal skills and know-how to do this. Um, but like I said, there are protocols that people are sharing. There um, are a number of seminars, including the one that we hosted together with ORAU, that um, highlight some of the methodolo methodological approaches that people are using. So there's a lot of opportunity to learn and collaborate right now. Um, to excel essentially, what we're trying to do is to accelerate those um, those start to finish uh, efforts that are that are being stood up around the, around the country. That's great. Um, and let me just put in a plug because we have mentioned it several times. If, if you want to see the webinar that we did a couple of weeks ago, um, visit ORU.org and search for webinar series and you will land on the page where you can view the entire webinar um, in full and um, learn more about the universities that we talked to that shared their information that day. We're hearing a lot in the news about um, individual testing and pool testing and um, should wastewater surveillance replace individual testing, pool testing? I'm assuming it's one of um, all of the tools that we shouldn't, you know, you, you shouldn't not be tested if you're having symptoms, for example, but wastewater, te wastewater tests, wastewater surveillance gives us that, as we call it, a leading indication of what's happening in a community. Yeah, Monique, you want to take this one? Yeah. <laughs> I'll start. The answer is yes. It's a yes and. Um, that this is part of a, a complex system of how we seek to protect the population. Again, it seems to be um, infeasible for us to imagine that all of us would need to be tested every day individually. And so this really is a, uh, an opportunity to create a more feasible approach to identify those individuals or uh, congregate settings or cities, communities at risk. Um, and then, but it has to be paired with, I think, as, as Kunal was saying, the decisions that get made once you have that initial indicator that there might be a positive signal of the virus in, in wastewater. And you want to make sure you've got the resources to follow on now that you've identified an enhanced risk, uh, that you can proceed then with the individual testing. So it is very much part of an ecosystem and a system of systems of testing and capability that we're looking to establish. Uh, again, I think we all hope uh, that someday we will have the virus more under control uh, where we can keep up with individual testing. Um, that is certainly not the case right now in the United right. States, where we have widespread transmission. Uh, we're approaching 5 million cases and uh, over 155,000 deaths. So we're really in a, 
it, it, there's a sense of urgency right now, again, very large, high-consequence decisions that are getting made, especially for schools, K-12, through universities, all uh, sectors of education. Um, as Kunal pointed out, we all understand these are urgent, real-time issues, and bringing solutions with speed and at scale is really what we're aiming to do. Great. Thank you for that. Um, Is there anything I haven't mentioned specifically about wastewater surveillance that either of you want to make sure we talk about? Um, I would, I think there's a couple things. Um, you know, I think it's important to recognize that the federal government, it plays a big role in, in this as well. Um, you know, as the co as members of the COVID-19 healthcare coalition, um, we are, working with our private sector and academic partners to do what we can to accelerate these technologies and, and um, pilots and um, to improve upon them. Um, the federal government plays a role, especially when it comes to thinking about this as a national capability. Um, so as we move away from just thinking about what can we do for an individual campus or an individual city, um, we wanna start thinking about what, we, what can we do at a coordinated fashion as a nation um, and so in terms of, uh, you know, right now, a lot of the different methods that people are using are, are divergent. Um, there may be a time where we can converge upon a single set of methods that everybody uses that um, allows us to compare data more easily between two different um, cities or two different campuses. And, uh, you know, in addition to the method standardization, just that capability of sharing that much data is a huge challenge. Um, so... Uh, there are a number of roles that we anticipate and hope that the federal government will um, will play in this in this part of the story. It's it's certainly going to depend on all parties to to bring their um, to bring their expertise and resources to bear. With the virus being what seems like out of control, I mean, very widespread, um, and the need for information. I mean, these are all very urgent issues that need to be addressed, I would assume relatively quickly. Um, and this is one way to get us there. Are there some other things um, that we need to be either as a country, as individuals to be focused on um, moving forward? It's a great question, arguably one of the most important questions, uh, Michael, what can we all do, right? What part, and we all do have a part to play as we're looking to get the virus under control to protect ourselves, our families, our communities, our schools. Um, we all want to get back to some semblance of life as, as we knew it um, before uh, the pandemic erupted. Uh, so I would adhere sort of um, all of us, every listener, to, to be a leader amongst those around you, right? To, there are some simple measures, this measure of physical distancing, uh, wearing face coverings or a mask. Um, the, the little things that we can do now are the only things we could do now, right? Um, until there is a vaccine or other countermeasure that's going to help us um, uh, to, to really think about how you as an individual can influence those around you. Because we're seeing, seeing a lot of those challenges right now with even relatively, relatively simple, high-value, low-risk measures. Um, uh, we're still seeing this virus sort of, uh, like you said, widespread transmission. So 
I would certainly uh, welcome everyone to think creatively how, how we can be more effective uh, as leaders at every, every level where we are in every community uh, that we find ourselves with other people with the knowledge that we have um, to share that with people in a way that uh, is meaningful and actionable um, and helps us all protect each other. Thank you for that, Monique. Um, and of course, the coalition moves forward, um, continuing to share as the, the members um, do more and learn more and get new information. Um, can you mention kind of at the top of the pod, actually at the top of the podcast, um, some sort of what comes next with um, ORU and MITRE and COVID-19. So talk a little bit about that. And then I guess open question for everyone is what, what's next for our partnership and, and I guess the coalition moving forward? Sure. So um, <clears throat> it's pretty exciting, actually. MITRE has been working with the Department of Health and Human Services and the CDC on the development of a, um, a um, uh, monitoring software system called SARA Alert, which is um, a, a, a publicly available software system that people can install and use in their, you know, municipalities or universities, or it could be K through 12, it could be companies, however you want to do it, to keep track of people who have been tested for COVID, have been positive or negative, and if they're positive, to track them through, uh, through their, um, their illness and um, uh, provide information to uh, uh, municipal health agencies and state health agencies for eventually, you know, as an integral part of the whole contact tracing train. And so they have, uh, MITRE and ORU have come together and um, determined that we are going to set up a pilot to stand up a Sarah Alert academic instance, if you would, with our universities to try and get this capability out there to the universities as all the students coming back really here just in the next couple of weeks, they'll be starting at a number of universities. So, um, we are looking at how to get that stood up, how ORU can host an academic instance for our universities. Uh, we have an information meeting for a number of universities that have more or less raised their hand and said they would like to know more, that they could use support, um, that type of thing. So we have an information meeting coming up later this week to discuss that with them. We're hoping very quickly after that to be able to stand up a number of pilots to get the software out there to cover the universities in terms of the needs that they have in terms of uh, um, monitoring the, 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 you know, the, the students that are coming back to their universities. So very exciting. Um, I would imagine after we have a successful pilot that we can offer this capability to a broader uh, group of universities, perhaps in the future, even outside of um, ORU's member, member universities. And so that's a very exciting next step for both of us. That's great. Um, and then, Monique, in terms of the coalition, I know the work is continuing. The work is important and moving quickly. Um, where is the coalition's focus? It sort of sounds like it's on everything <laughs> that can um, help bring the virus under control. Yeah, Michael, thank you. Uh, the coalition uh, is, is, uh, is going strong. Uh, it... Uh, 
continues to meet regularly with the various working groups we uh, we talked about in testing contact tracing weekly web webinar series where we're trying to provide um, again valuable information timely information uh, to uh, to our community of members uh, the coalition website uh, we are uh, committed to providing uh, the information that we uh, feel is a value that's been generated by the coalition and its members onto a public facing website uh, C as in charlie19hcc.org um, and uh, it does provide quite uh, quite a range of information sources decision support dashboards so it certainly encourage um, uh, your listeners and members to, to uh, check out uh, and stay tuned with the, the coalition website as it continues to provide uh, valuable information. Uh, again, I would encourage uh, the, the mem membership is still growing. So any one of the universities that, uh, again, they've already got the, the membership through ORAU, but would want to join independently, certainly we would welcome that. Um, and hope to continue to provide valuable information. Unfortunately, as you said, Michael, the, the need for it has not gone away. Uh, the need for, again, us to come together, learn together um, to help save lives, uh, that need persists. And um, so the coalition um, continues to be there uh, and, and to provide what we hope is a valuable uh, resource um, for many of uh, all of its members. Thank you very much. Um, anything that anyone else wants to add before we wrap things up? Just grateful for the partnership with ORU. Uh, again, I think one of the things that was most encouraging to me at the tail end of that webinar that we've talked about was the significant interest from those who listened in on learning more. And so Definitely. wanting to create sort of that opportunity for those, again, that exhibited quite, you know, significant interest in wanting to learn more and work together. Um, we, through our partnership with ORU, want to be able to provide that form uh, of sharing information and helping everyone learn together faster. Thank you very much. And um, Kunal and Monique, I would love to have you back um, at any point as things move forward to talk about new things that are going on um, in the COVID-19 space and with the coalition. And one day when it's behind us <laughs> to talk about how we got to that place together as a coalition. So thank you very much um, for being here and for Ken and Kathy as well. Thank you all so much for your time. I appreciate it. Thanks so much. You're welcome. Thank you, Michael. We all look forward to that day where it's a, a retrospective. Absolutely. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank I'm you sure very you'll, much. Be, you'll be hearing from us soon because Kathy and I are going to keep pushing forward on a number of things. <laughs> Good, good, good. I like it. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Further Together, the ORU podcast. To learn more about any of the topics discussed by our experts, visit www.orau.org. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn at ORAU, and on Instagram at ORAU Together. If you like Further Together, the ORU podcast, we would appreciate you giving us a review on your favorite podcast platform. Your reviews will help more people find the podcast.